even on fertilizer because you are not using excess fertilizer and then you are also saving the environment and you are getting the best from your field in terms of productivity this are nuclear based technologies so in my next slide i show a, a mixed field that we grew in my institute we're doing some trials and we we use nuclear-based technologies to determine how much water we need to apply at every stage. We used um, nuclear-based techniques to determine how much fertilizer we should apply and everything. And trust me, we got the best yield ever. So that's it for the soil. Now the crop that we are growing is so. One of the major reasons why our productivity is low is the varieties we grow. So we have varieties that are very hardy and resilient to the environmental stresses we have, but their productivity is very low. When you bring in the high productivity crops, the hybrid seeds, a lot of them are very susceptible to the environmental stresses we have. High salinity, low water um, moisture, or low moisture in the soils in most of our countries, in, especially in the Sahel region, diseases and pests. And then at the end of the season, your productivity is very low. In addition to this, some of our crops also lack the required nutrients that they need. For example, much of Africa rely on cassava. And cassava is almost carbohydrate. So if you are relying solely on cassava and much of your food is carbohydrate, how do you get the other nutrients? Can we modify cassava for it to have some other nutrients like protein, like essential vitamins and all that. One technology that is able to do this for us is what we call mutation breeding. So we can expose planting materials or plant seeds or cuttings to radiation, which will cause mutations. And we select for traits that we desire in those random mutations. So if you expose maybe 1 million seeds to radiation, it will cause random mutations in all the different seeds. You plant these seeds, and if you want drought-tolerant plants, you challenge them with drought, and you can select those that will tolerate the drought condition and propagate these ones, multiply them into new varieties that can be released and used in areas where there is water stress. You can do the same to select for salinity tolerant varieties so that those people who are in areas where the soil is highly saline can also produce those crops to feed their people. We can select for varieties that have high nutritional value. We can select for varieties that are resistant to particular diseases. 
when you take cassava, the African cassava mosaic virus is a major uh, problem in cassava production on the African continent. And in the eastern part, we are now having another serious problem, which is the cassava brown streak disease, which is causing very serious devastation to cassava fields in the eastern part of Africa. And there is a fear that this is going to extend into the western part of Africa. How are we preparing for that? Now, nuclear-based techniques of mutation breeding can help us to better prepare for these situations. We have been able to use these techniques of mutation breeding to produce drought-tolerant and early maturing oil palm varieties here in Ghana. We've been able to use this technology to produce cassava varieties that have high beta-carotene content. So they are able to produce or, or help you to deal with vitamin A deficiency in the population. We've been able to use mutation breeding to produce cassava varieties that are resistant to African cassava mosaic virus disease. And we are beginning a project to develop varieties that will be resistant to the cassava brown streak virus disease as well. Next slide, please. So we have a tomato variety. I'm sure it's present in most African count, uh, countries. They are very, very small. They ripe red and they have a lot of water and a lot of seeds. In our labs, we've been able to cross this with preferred varieties to get beautiful hybrid cherry tomato varieties. We went further to use mutations to develop varieties that ripe different colors. So there are some that ripe yellow orange and there are some that ripe green. And these are varieties that are designed for high-end markets. So they use in salads and in other um, uh, food pr production. Okay, we've been able to do this. We've been able to leverage on another related technology, which is tissue culture, to enhance our breeding programs. So with tissue culture, we are able to take a small uh, part of a plant, produce what we call callus, or produce single cells from that, and then expose the single cells to mutation to cause mutation in single cells. And those single cells are developed into a whole plant that would have specific traits that we select for. And it's a process that helps us to quicken the breeding or the mutation breeding process. Because if you expose, say, cassava cuttings, what happens is that you have a lot of chimera formation. So they're the same plant, but it has several different mutations and that's one plant. And you need to grow this plant several cycles to dissolve this chimera or to remove those unwanted traits from the crop. But if you breed from single cell, then you don't have problem with chimera formation. So we are leveraging on different techniques to support our mutation breeding program so that we can produce elite varieties. In 2019, my institute released 
in collaboration with the University of Cape Coast, five new varieties of cassava, three of which are mutant varieties. And in the, the IEA has what they call the mutant varieties database. And in that database, there are only two cassava, mutant cassava varieties. One was, was developed here in Ghana way back in the 80s, in the, in the 70s, called Tekbanchi, which is resistant to the African cassava mosaic virus disease and high yielding. And the other one is from Asia. So only 2019, we, did, we, we, pro, we produced three new mutant varieties. And we have several other mutant lines that we are developing in the field. For example, we have a preferred variety called Afisiafi in Ghana. That is very well liked by the farmers and the consumers because it makes good food. We have been able to cross the yellow flesh trait into this white flesh cassava to give it high nutritional value. So if you produce gari with this yellow flesh um, cassava, the cassava itself would have high um, vitamin A in it. And then you are beginning to also deal with um, nutritional security, not only food security. So, the other thing area I want to touch on is pest management. Because pests and diseases are major constraints to, can you move to the next slide? Okay. Pests and diseases are another major cause of low productivity. So we have stem borers that are a major problem for maize production, for example. Recently, we got the fall armyworm introduced onto the African continent. We have fruit flies that are a major problem on the production, for the production of fruits and vegetables. We have cheche flies that seriously exacerbate our meat production. We have false codling moth that is affecting uh, uh, chili pepper and uh, uh, sweet pepper production on the continent. All these insects can be dealt with using nuclear-based technologies. What is that technology? It's called a sterile insect technique, where you expose pupae of these insects to some level of radiation, and the radiation causes the males to become sterile. So when you release these males into the wild, every female they meet with will not produce any offspring. So you are imposing a birth control on the pest population. This technology has been used to effectively eradicate screwworm from Libya in the 80s, when there was an outbreak. It's been used to eradicate screwworm from North America. It's been used to eradicate the Mediterranean fruit fly from parts of Europe and the Middle East when there was an outbreak in those areas. It is the gold standard that is being used in Latin America and in most parts of America against fruit flies. It's been used against cheche flies. And on the island of Zanzibar, 
It's been used to completely eradicate such flies from that island. Right now, it is being used to eradicate church flies from the church areas in Senegal. So there is an area called the Nice region where they are using this technology to eradicate church flies from those areas. And once you eradicate church fly from any area, your castle production, your pig production, and all those things will, will take a boost because the church flies transmit trypanosomiasis, which is a major disease that affects productivity in animals. So these technologies are available. The International Atomic Energy Agency have perfected these technologies and they are transferring to member states through technical cooperation projects. Africa needs to leverage on these technologies. Next slide, please. So, how do we find sustainable solutions to post-harvest losses? As much as possible, African countries need to improve on our infrastructure for long-term storage of food. But as much as possible, we also need the technologies that will support this infrastructure for us to be able to store our food longer. One of the key areas of extending the shelf life or technologies for extending shelf life of any perishable crop is to reduce the moisture content. So if you want your maize to store longer, you need to dry it to a moisture content that is below 13%, and then that maize can store for a long period. If the moisture content is more than 13%, it will not store for long. If you have tomatoes during the glut season, how can we convert a lot of these tomatoes into tomato powder? An earlier speaker, Dr. Deborah, talked about the world saying we have a lot of sun, so we should use solar. Solar may not be useful for energy that will power our industries, but we can leverage on solar for um, reducing moisture content in the foods that we need to store for longer. So we have been developing some technologies on how to harness solar for reducing moisture content in foods. So we developed some solar dryers, including um, fixed ones and mobile ones that can be used for drying fruits and vegetables. And one of our flagship projects we are doing is to deal with tomato glass in our country. So we are leveraging on technology to see how we can develop tomato powder. Tomato powder that can be reconstituted and you have your tomatoes and you use it in a sauce. So we developed the solar dryer and we've perfected the protocol for converting your tomato during the harvest season into tomato powder that can store till the next harvest season. For you to be able to store this tomato powder longer, you don't only need to dry it and then package and that's it. Because in the process of drying, because you are not applying any um, heat in your treatment, 
microorganisms that would fall, they are all over the environment, that will fall on your um, tomato powder, may be able to develop and cause spoilage in storage. But if you package this tomato powder and seal it and expose it to gamma radiation at a certain dose, it will kill any living organism, including the microbes that are there. Then this tomato powder can last even longer for you. This is the time to leverage on those technologies. Another way of extending the shelf life of especially fruits and vegetables is waxing. And generally, they use beeswax. But the International Atomic Energy Agency ran a project which my institute was part of to develop what we call chitosan. Now, chitosan we get from the shells of crustaceans. And with radiation processing, we are able to modify this chitosan because when you expose polymers to radiation, it causes cross linkages. That makes, that improves the quality of the polymers. So we are able to develop chito, or produce chitosan from shells and then use radiation processing to improve them. And this chitosan can be used for waxing of fruits. And if you wax the fruits, it stays longer on the shell. So next slide shows some fruits that have been waxed and they look beautiful. Now next slide, I want to see, show you what the radiation processing can be used for as far as the post-harvest system is concerned. And this can help us to reduce wastage or post-harvest losses and to be able to store our commodities for longer on the shelves. So if you take, for example, the tubers, the combs, the bulbs like onion, yam, sweet potato, um, Irish potato, and all those ones that germinate in storage. If you expose them to radiation, what happens is that it inhibits sprouting. And once they don't sprout, they will stay fresh in storage for longer. Because when they sprout, the sprout begins to use up the nutrients and the water in, in the tuber. So it dries out. And you will not get the best out of it. But if it doesn't sprout, then it stays longer. In fact, we've been able to irradiate yams that have stored till the next yam season begins. You can also use it to do insect dis disinfestation. So if you have grains, um, cereals and pulses and all those things, you package them and you expose them to radiation it will kill any insect that is in your green. And once the insects are killed, until you open the seal, nothing can infest those greens. We can also use it to extend the shelf life of meat by reducing the microbial load on this meat. So if we expose them to radiation and then it kills the microbes on the meat so that the meat can last longer in storage or on the shelf. A lot of us and on the African continent, our cuisines are full of spices and we rely on a lot of herbs. 
Now, spices and herbs can be decontaminated using radiation processing. So we expose them to radiation and it kills any microorganisms that are there. And until the seal is broken, your product will be without any um, harmful pathogens. And of course, if we are becoming the breadbasket of the world, it means that we, we should be able to export our commodities to where they are needed. And one of the major restrictions to us reaching certain markets is pests and diseases. And we can deal with this using radiation processing. So there are protocols we have developed for radiation processing for phytosanitary treatment, where you can use that to meet the phytosanitary requirements in important countries for our technologies. We have a radiation processing unit in my institute and on the whole African continent, um, it is Ghana, South Africa, and Egypt that have functional radiation processing facilities. Nigeria has one. Um, it hasn't been used. I don't know whether they are using it now. So by way of conclusion, I want to say that Africa's already fragile food systems have been further impacted by COVID-19. And this is threatening our attainment of SDG2 as well as our agenda 2063 and any other food security agenda that we have set for ourselves. Nuclear-based smart technologies are available for us to adopt as a continent. And this is the time for us to begin to mainstream some of these technologies into our food systems as a continent. The governments of Africa are called upon to take advantage of their membership of the International Atomic Energy Agency and through our South-South collaborations to be able to mainstream nuclear technologies into our culture. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Said. We have any questions for our speaker, please? One. Any other questions, please? All right, so we'll take the first question. Um, thank you very much, Doctor, for that um, wonderful presentation. Um, I probably enjoyed that presentation more than anybody in the hall, probably, because of the fact that I am an agricultural engineer by uh, for undergraduate background, and I'm also an energy engineer studying M-field in energy studies right now. So my question is, um, given the fact that the major challenge in Africa is food insecurity, and we are trying to combat it using precision agriculture as well as um, sustainable agriculture. And if we are to combat food insecurity in Africa, I think we need capacity building in the area of um, precision agriculture and sustainable agriculture. Institutes have um, facilities for scholarship in the area of um, um, nuclear science application in agriculture. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for that question. My, so the Ghana Atomic Energy 
Commission established a graduate school of nuclear and allied sciences where we train people in nuclear science and technology and its application in the different fields in health, in industry, in environment, and in agriculture, and any other areas where you can use nuclear technologies. Over the years, the International Atomic Energy Agency has sponsored a number of people from the African continent to come to our school where they receive training. In my institute, we also receive fellows that are sponsored by the International Atomic Energy Agency or sometimes by their own countries to come and be trained in some of these technologies that I just spoke about. But as an institute, we don't have any scholarship scheme available. What we are looking at is positioning some of our programs for international funding so that we can get the funding agencies to commit to funding students, international students to come to our institutes to have that kind of training. But if your country is part of the International Atomic Energy Agency, you need to just speak to your NLO. There are opportunities available where you can uh, be sponsored to come to GAEC or to our Graduate School of Nuclear and Allied Sciences to be trained in any of these areas. Thank you. One more question for you, Doc. Uh, thank you, sir, for that presentation. And uh, my question here is, uh, uh, in Africa, you see farmers are stuck to these uh, uh, old methods of uh, farming. And some of them might prove adamant to welcome this uh, uh, technologies. So how uh, how do you communicate these technologies to them? How do you convince them to, to venture into this kind of uh, techniques? So my institute was established in 2000, uh, 1993. And we were doing some studies recently to see how much impact we have made as an institute in terms of um, the technologies we are developing in our laboratories, how much of it is being taken up by the Ghanaian farmer. And we were shocked to realize that the uptake of our technologies are very low. Rightly said, the African farmer is very adamant and stuck in our olden ways of doing things. What we are trying to do to change that narrative is taking this technology to the farmer. So my institute right now, we are establishing about five demonstration sites across the country where we'll be demonstrating these technologies to the farmers through what we call the farmer field school approach. We have gone further to sign MOU with a company or an international agency called Farm Radio. They disseminate technology to farmers using the radios that we have. So we have packaged technology that will be disseminated to farmers within the catchment areas of where we are establishing our demonstration farms. And as we broadcast these technologies, we also direct them to go to these demonstration farms and see for themselves how these technologies are being used. And I'm sure if a farmer sees technology that is given 
maybe twice or three times the yield compared to what he is, he is using. That is enough evidence for that farmer to change and adopt the new technology. So we are doing direct demonstration and ramping up our public um, interaction as far as these technologies are concerned. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Sai. So um, that would end our session for the afternoon and I'm happy to announce lunch is served. So it's time for lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you.